You're listening to a sermon from Red Door Church in Melbourne. For more information, go to reddoorchurch.com.au. Um, Good Friday is one of my favourite days because it forces us to ask deep philosophical and theological questions of each other. And one that I've been pondering as I've been coming here is this. Do you watch SBS? Some of you are laughing. Maybe it was funny. I, I, we, we, don't, we don't watch SBS at our house. Um, we have two channels on the television. They're called Netflix and Stan. And so we don't watch SBS. But for the last uh, couple of weeks, we've actually been venturing out of our comfort zone. Uh, and we've watched SBS because there's been a program on it called Christians Like Us. I'm not sure if you've watched it or you've seen it. Um, one of our friends was actually on the program. And so we watched it. But here's, here's the premise. Okay. Gather 10 Christians in a home for a week from a variety of social, political backgrounds and force them to have full-on discussions about every kind of moral issue in this, this day. Are you feeling as anxious as I was watching it? All right? I was very anxious watching it. And to be honest, it was, an, it was an interesting experience. There wasn't a lot of agreement. There was a lot of disagreement. There was a lot of different perspectives being taken into account. But true to their form, they did ask all the big questions. They did ask all these deep social and moral issue questions. But the question that I kept wanting them to ask, and they never actually got to, is, who is Jesus? Because... You might think that that's, that's obvious. Well, it's a bunch of Christians that all gathered together. Surely they actually know how to answer the question, who is Jesus? And you'd think so, but you actually examine the kinds of belief that are in the house. It's very interesting. There was a, a Mormon there who believed that Jesus post-resurrection turned up in America. Okay, you have a, a liberal Catholic there who doesn't believe that Jesus rose from the grave. You have a, a Coptic Catholic there. And so you have all these people from a vast array of backgrounds, of theological beliefs, and you sort of just want them to go, let's get the, let's get the big picture in first. Let's ask who is Jesus first. And the, the reason I was reminded of this is because that house probably is a good description for what our house is like this morning. There are a group of people here from a wide variety of social backgrounds, political backgrounds, theological backgrounds, and we all come to church this morning having brought our assumptions about Jesus with us. And so one of the most important questions for us as we go through Mark 15 is that, who is Jesus? And the, the great thing is that it's, it's the question of the text Because as Harriet and Jemima and Joanna read for us, people are constantly questioning Jesus in Mark 15. Pilate questions Jesus. The Pharisees question Jesus. The scribes question Jesus. The criminals question Jesus. And so it would do us well to, along with them, question him so we can work out the answer to that question ourselves. Who is Jesus? Because whether we like it or not, he is at the center of history. H.G. Wells, who is a British historian, author, writer, had this to say. He says, I am a historian. I am not a believer. But I must confess as a historian that this penniless preacher from Nazareth is irrevocably the very center of history. 
Jesus Christ is easily the most dominant figure in all of history. That is a British historian, not a Christian. And if if history doesn't do it for you, that's okay. Just consider for a moment that Jesus is the one and only person in the history of all mankind whose name has been turned into a swear word. All right? How famous do you need to be for your name to be a swear word, right? When you bump your knee, you don't cry, Ah, Augustus Caesar! Right? When you forget your homework at home, Ah, SpongeBob SquarePants! Right? It it doesn't happen like that. And so whether we like it or not, Jesus, we need to come to a conclusion about who he is. And so we're going to do that this morning. But here's what I want you to do. I'm going to bless the introverts. You don't have to talk to anyone. Here's what I want you to do. I want you to get your phone or a piece of paper that you've got around you, right? Open up the notes application. I don't know what Samsung has. I just know that iPhones has notes. So whatever the uh, Galaxy equivalent of notes is, I just want you to answer this question for yourself. Who is Jesus? Write down your answer. Doesn't have to be profound. Doesn't have to be deep. Just has to be your answer. I'm going to give you 45 seconds. Write down, who is Jesus? Go. I'm going to pray for us before we begin. Uh, But if you haven't finished your sentence yet, feel free to finish it um, anytime you need to. So let's pray. God, I pray that as we open up your word this morning, as we hear from what you have to say, that it hits us afresh. Whether this is the first time we're hearing it, I pray that it digs in deeply. If it's the old thing that we've done every year, year after year, I pray that you make it fresh. I pray that you open our ears and our eyes and our hearts to you this morning, that we see this for what it's meant to be. I pray that we meet you this morning, that we meet Jesus this morning, and that we're taken by him, that we're impressed by him, that we trust him. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, so we we come into the story at a very crucial time. Jesus has been arrested, and um, immediately preceding this interaction with Pilate, the Jews have been working all night to come up with a charge that they can bring against him, and the charge that they settle on is blasphemy. Jesus has claimed to be the one and only God, and for that he must die. But they have a conundrum. Rome doesn't care. Pilate doesn't care. Caesar doesn't care. Rome's uh, position on the Jewish theological squabbles is, you do you, babe. Right? They just, they don't care. They don't care about theological disagreement. What they care about very much, though, is rebellion. Rome cares about rebellion. Rome cares about people setting themselves up as alternative kings to Caesar, and that is treason, and for that you must die. Okay? And so it's interesting that the first word out of Pilate's mouth isn't, are you the one and only true God as you've claimed, but are you the king of the Jews? 
He's making a claim about his kingship. Rome cares about rebellion. And it it makes sense when you consider the territory that they own. Rome owned a lot of territory, these vast swaths of land. Okay, Basically, everything from Egypt and Israel to Britain was ruled over by Rome. Okay, To put it into perspective, I have made this extremely sketchy uh, map of how far you would have to walk if you walked from Israel to Britain. It would uh, take you 871 hours. You can't see there, but it's about 4,486 kilometers. And so if you walked five kilometers a day for 36 days and didn't stop once, you'd get to Britain. Okay? Rome owned a lot of land. Okay? Here's the problem when you own land that big, that wide, that vast. You need to have control over it. If you lose control in any single area, then that can lead to losing control in lots of different areas because you are spread so thin. So Rome's opposition to rebellion was the basis of just keeping the whole empire safe. So when Pilate asked Jesus, he doesn't ask him, are you the one and true God? He asked them, are you the king? And it's interesting, Jesus' response here, he just says, you have said so, or so you say. Which is, I think is just an incredible response. This is the kind of response that we need to cultivate in our kids, right? Gustav, have you, did you take the last piece of cake? Mother, you have said so, <laughs> right? That's, that's the kind of response we want. But Jesus is actually being very intelligent because if he says, yes, I am the king of the Jews, then Pilate will put him to death immediately, right? If he says no, he's lying, right? He is the king. And so Jesus threads the eye of the needle. The priests come along. Now, they accuse him of more and more things, adding trumped-up charges, building up the case against Jesus. And so Pilate asks him again, aren't you going to answer? Look how many things they're accusing you of. And Jesus doesn't answer. And so Pilate was amazed. What kind of king is Jesus here? What kind of king says nothing in the face of false claims? Jesus is not a king like we've seen before. He has no power. He has no wealth. He has no authority. He has no army. He has no palace. He has no advisors. Instead of authority, Jesus has humility. Instead of violence and an army, he has healing. Jesus is not a king like we've seen before. It led uh, Napoleon, the great French army commander, to write this. I know men, and I tell you that Jesus Christ is no mere man. Between him and every person in the world, there is no possible term of comparison. Alexander, Caesar, Charlemagne, and I have founded empires, but on what did we rest the creations of our genius? Upon force. Jesus Christ founded his empire upon love, and at this hour, millions of men would die for him. Jesus is not a king like we have seen before. His kingdom is not based on wealth. It's not based on earthly power. It's not based on an incredible army. It's based on love and sacrifice and forgiveness. And we move forward. Verses 6 onwards. 
At the festival, Pilate used to release for the people a prisoner whom they requested. And there was one named Barabbas who was in prison with rebels who had committed murder during the rebellion. The crowd came up and began to ask Pilate to do for them as was his custom. Pilate answered them, Do you want me to release the king of the Jews for you? For he knew that it was because of envy that the chief priests had handed him over. But the chief priests stirred up the crowd so that he would release Barabbas to them instead. Pilate asked them again, Then what do you want me to do with the one you call king of the Jews? And again they shouted, Crucify him. There was a tradition in Jewish uh, customs that on the fast of a feast, there would be a prisoner released from death row. And so we're introduced to this Barabbas character. Okay? And we don't know very much about Barabbas. All we know is that he was a murderer, that he was a rebel, that he was a leader of an insurrection against Rome. And so he was on death row and he was going to die. And so Pilate stands before the crowd, Jesus, the Son of God, and Barabbas, thug and rebel, and says, Who do you want? We want Barabbas. We want Barabbas. You have a, a rebel king who has murdered people, who believes that the way to freedom is through the sword and believes in a conquering army that's going to propel Rome out of it. And then you have Jesus, the Son of God, who believes that the only way to keep your life is to lose it, right? That forgiveness is freedom, that the kingdom has come, that has come from heaven, right? What has he done except heal and restore and deliver and bind up the broken and forgive the sinful? This is no comparison. And yet Pilate asked the crowd, who do we want? We want Barabbas. The reality is that we face many of the same questions today. When choosing between two kingdoms, do we want a kingdom of authority and power and wealth? We are so easily impressed by these things. And yet Jesus' kingdom doesn't often look like that. It looks like humility and forgiveness and love and sacrifice and repentance and redemption. And yet when Pilate asks us, we say, well, we want Barabbas. Jesus is led away. In 14 and 15, he says, why? What has he done? But they shouted all the more, crucify him. Wanting to satisfy the crowd, Pilate released Barabbas to them. And after having Jesus flogged, he handed him over to be crucified. The soldiers led him away into the palace, the governor's residence, and called the whole company together. They dressed him in a purple robe, twisted together a crown of thorns and put it on him. And they began to salute him, Hail, King of the Jews! They were hitting him on the head with a stick and spitting on him. Getting down on their knees, they were paying him homage. And after they mocked him, they stripped him and put his clothes on him. Can you imagine if this happened to us? If this happened to one of us, if Sisera was taken away, stripped of his clothes, beaten, mocked, the kind of language that we'd use to describe that? It's incredible that we're not talking about just one of us. We're talking about the Son of God. It's this kind of thing that leads Paul elsewhere and later on to say that the love of God surpasses all understanding. This is incomprehensible. This is incomparable. What is happening to Jesus? 
taken away, having a purple cloak of royalty put on, only to be mocked, to be spit on, to be spat on, to be stripped. And it leads us to question, why do we call this day Good Friday? This is not a Good Friday. This is a terrible Friday. This is a wretched Friday. This is a just horrendous Friday. The soldiers take Jesus away like a common criminal. They insult him. They beat him. They mock him. And they spit on him. In 23 and 24, they crucified him and divided his clothes, casting lots of them to decide which each would get. Jesus, the Son of God, was stripped of everything that he had until only had a loincloth around his waist. And the soldiers cast lots, gambled to determine who would take his possessions. 26 and 27. The inscription of the charge written against him was King of the Jews. And they crucified two criminals with him, one on his right and one on his left. There was no more horrendous punishment in all of ancient history than crucifixion. Because not only was it a public humiliation, having been stripped of all your possessions, of all of your clothes, laid bare in front of the crowds, according to Jewish custom, it was a curse. For someone to be on the the crucifixion was to be cursed by God himself. Jesus, the Son of God, has entered onto a position where he is cursed by God. 29 onwards, those who are passing by were yelling at him, shaking their heads and saying, ha, the one who would destroy the temple and rebuild it in three days, save yourself by coming down from the cross. In the same way, the chief priests with the scribes were mocking him and saying he saved others, but he cannot save himself. Let the Messiah, the King of Israel, come down now from the cross so we may see and believe. Jesus is being treated as an imposter, as a false king to the throne, someone whose claims cannot be backed up. Not only do the religious authorities tease him and bag him and mock him, but so do the criminals on his right and his left. Until finally he cries out, Aloy, Aloy, lama sabachthani. It's translated, my God, my God, why have you abandoned me? This final motif where Jesus is experiencing the full withdrawal of the favor of God, experiencing the full wrath of God against sin. Jesus has been abandoned and forsaken. And so it asks the question, why do we call this day Good Friday? When Jesus was mocked, when Jesus was stripped, when Jesus was tortured, when Jesus was beaten, when Jesus was abandoned. Because the truth is that we'll never see this day as Good Friday unless we see that Jesus is acting as a substitute. See, what Jesus is doing this whole day is taking our place. When Jesus is led to the cross like a criminal, he does so so that the real criminals would not have their sins counted against them on the day of judgment. When Jesus is stripped of every single piece of his clothes, he does so so that we who trust in him will be clothed with the full righteousness of Christ for all of eternity. 
when Jesus is mocked and spat upon and just has this incredible amount of condemnation poured against him, he does so that we would never be condemned. When Jesus cries out that this is the curse, Jesus is cursed so that we would never have to experience the curse of sin again. And when Jesus cries out, Aloy, Aloy, Lama Sabachthani, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He does so, so that anyone who trusts in him will never again have to worry about being forsaken. The same moment that Jesus is mocked and beaten and spat upon is the same moment that Jesus was dying for the very people who are mocking him and spitting on him and beating him. The truth is that Good Friday will never make any sense unless you can say these three words, four words. It should have been me. It should have been me. Consider Barabbas for a moment, the man we don't know very much about. You know, he's a rebel, a murderer, an insurrectionist. I just want you to imagine, put, put, put the mindset of Barabbas at this very moment that Jesus is experiencing this wretched torture. Okay? Barabbas is sitting in a cell, shackled and chained, and he knows that this is it. He knows that he's been caught. He knows that he's been charged. He knows that this is the end, that he's going to die today. The reason that Jesus is condemned so quickly is because there's already a crucifix up on, uh, like already constructed for Barabbas. They don't have to wait to construct anything new. Barabbas is going to die. Just imagine what it would feel like to hear the guards coming their feet walk towards the cell you hear the door open and instead of being led away to certain death instead the key goes in the chains and you walk free what's going on what's happened why am i being let free son jesus has taken your place see the interesting thing is that barabbas whilst most certainly his name also has a meaning See, Bar in Hebrew means son of, and Abbas means father. Barabbas was a son of the father. What we see at Easter is the son of God going to certain death and condemnation so that a son of the father could walk free. That's the Easter message. The son of God walking to death, to condemnation, to mocking, to, beat, to, to being beaten so that sons and daughters of the king created by God but besmirched by sin, could walk free. That's the gospel. That's the Easter message. That's why we call this Good Friday, because it should have been us. It should have been me. It should have been you. It should have been him. It should have been her. And yet it's not because Jesus took our place. That's Easter. And so when it comes to that question... Who is Jesus? Then the only real answer to what we see Jesus doing is the one of the centurion in verse 39. What does he say? Truly, this man was the Son of God. Truly, this Jesus was exactly who he said he was. 
He is the King. He is the Savior. He is the Son of God. And so the question for us now is, what do we do with that? Maybe even take a look at what you wrote down to the question, who is Jesus? Does it match up to what we see in the Scriptures? Is the, same, the Jesus that you think is there, is he the same one here? If not, you have to do something about that. You can't walk away and just put it in the too hard box because if Jesus is the Son of God and if what he is saying is true, then it needs to change everything. If you're a skeptic, you need to investigate. But maybe you're more like me on a good Friday and just feel a lot of shame, just feel a lot of guilt. That as you consider that Jesus, the Son of God, he who was there at the beginning of the foundation of the world, without whom there was nothing made that was made, you just feel a lot of shame. You feel a lot of guilt. And what you need to be reminded of is that there is no guilt for those who are in Jesus. Jesus died to take away your guilt forever. Romans 8 says this, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ. Do you know why? Because on his death, Jesus has consumed every single portion of God's wrath against sin, and so there is none left over for you anymore. So friends, I invite you to come to him. I invite you to dwell on this. I invite you to consider what Jesus is doing. Don't just take it as another Easter story. Don't just take it as another Easter message. Who is Jesus and what has he done? Because it should change everything. Let me pray for us. God, it's hard for us to consider all that Good Friday has accomplished. when we consider the beating that you have taken, when we consider the mocking that you have undergone, when we consider the abandonment that you have experienced, when we consider the stripping of clothes that you went through, it's almost overwhelmingly when we realize it should have been me. It should have been me. God, I pray that that message sinks deep into our hearts this morning. Let us not leave this place confused or perplexed about the person of Jesus. But instead, let us uh, be filled with the Spirit. Let us come to Jesus and worship him in glory and truth and honor. God, change us this morning. Because I know for certain that when people experience you, when people meet you, when people come face to face with you, the suffering servant who is the substitute for us, Nothing ever remains the same. In Jesus' name.